I think for what we Europeans have been doing in the last 3,000 years around the world, we should be apologizing for the next 3,000 years. Now, it's going to take a lot of football and a lot of great goals and a lot of great moments to try and forget those kind of numbers. Like you're not being paid by Qatar, you know, you're not being paid to propagate on behalf of the state. You're there to, to go on the ground and do your job and to tell the story of this World Cup, whatever that story may be. Hello and welcome to the Indo World Cup on day one of the World Cup in Qatar in 2022. My name is Aidan O'Hara and while our man on the ground is going to be in situ for the month, Daniel McDonnell is going via Malta first because the other game today is Ireland versus Malta at 7 o'clock which will follow Qatar versus Ecuador at 4 o'clock. Dan, how's all in Malta? Well, it's the, it's the game everyone in the football world is talking about, um, Aidan, as we know. Um, I suppose there is like... A, bit of symbolism like in the sense that didn't Ireland qualify for Italia 90 uh, their first World Cup appearance uh, by virtue of a win in Malta uh, wasn't there like a famous story of uh, loads of fans missed the game or arrived late for the game because there was um, some issue with the travel because there's so many thousands of Irish people here I must admit coming into land last night um, sorry Friday I was thinking about that um, uh, <laughs> you know and, and how we are now in this sort of weird uh, you know, UEFA demand that nations need to play a certain amount of friendlies um, as per the rights of their TV deal, um, which is why countries don't necessarily need to play these games, um, but sorry, don't necessarily want to play all of these games, but they sort of have to. Uh, and you have this weird scenario where um, Malta are playing, sorry, Malta are playing Ireland here on the day the World Cup kicks off. Um, and it's, it's surreal in its own way. Although, of course, the World Cup wasn't meant to kick off on Monday until Monday, uh, but that's probably a different story. Well, that was a change of mind, a late change of mind, and we've had a few of them. We'll, we'll get into the other change of minds that, that's gone on in Qatar, but just briefly, in Malta, what's the mood like, you know, after the disappointment of the result against Norway? Yeah, like, it's... it's um, I mean... It's, it's it's a strange one, really. Like, I mean, after every Ireland game, there's probably an extreme of some kind of reaction. And you can see some people after Thursday again getting energised and talking about sort of, you know, this game in Malta being a massively pressurised one. Or, um, but I, I don't know. I've spoken to a lot of people and even ex-players and people since um, even around the game and after the game. And... Um, I saw someone like Ian Hart obviously kicking off a bit over on social media. You chat to others who are more like, this is just a friendly window. It's it's serving time. It's it's uh, yes, it wasn't great on Thursday, but you know, n- not to lose the plot over it. But what Stephen Kenny basically has admitted is that listen, what happens in Malta is, is no relevance to play in France yeah. in in March. It's but but you know, you, you take a game rather than play none. You know, like you get one game is better than nothing. You might get something from it, but. Uh, we're not going to be talking about this game and, and, and whatever way it goes, but particularly if a, you know, even a stirring win, you're not like, well, there we go, like bring on the French. Yeah. I don't think that's going to yeah. be the line. It's certainly, a, there's an after the Lord Mayor show feeling about when it's a seven o'clock Irish time kickoff. And obviously the the real big event of the day is the, the four o'clock kickoff with Qatar and Ecuador. Obviously it's been overshadowed to a great extent by the FIFA president's comments, Gianni Infantino. I heard someone saying putting the infant in Infantino uh, with some of the, the Father Ted style comments that he had in his press conference. 
Uh, we'll just hear a little bit about what he had to say and uh, we'll discuss after that. Today I feel uh, Qatari. Today I feel Arab. Today I feel African. Today I feel uh, gay. Today I feel disabled. Today I feel uh, a migrant worker. Of course, I'm not uh, Qatari, I'm not Arab, I'm not African, I'm not gay, I'm not disabled, I'm not really a migrant worker, but I feel like them because I know what it means to be discriminated, to be bullied as a foreigner in a foreign country, as a child at school, I was bullied because I had uh, red hair and I had these red, how do you call them? Uh, freckles. 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 Sorry? Freckles. Freckles. You see, I don't even know the term. We are told many, many lessons from some Europeans from the Western world. I'm European. Actually, I am European. Not just I feel European. I think for what we Europeans have been doing in the last 3,000 years around the world, we should be apologizing for the next 3,000 years before starting to give moral lessons to people. So, Dan, I mean, again, like, like all of these things, it was a, you know, the Father Ted moment and, and now on to lawyers kind of thing. But, like, obviously, there's, there's so much talk going on about the the sports washing element and the, the discomfort people feel around the tournament um, itself. I think he's just really just added to all that again with this kind of, you know, just such a falseness about it. It's something we mentioned in the previous show, the falseness about the whole tournament. And it, it's just very, very difficult to take anything he says seriously. Yeah. I mean, like in, in one hand, it's, it's father Ted, um, on the other it's there's a sort of a david brent aspect to it you know what i mean in the sense of like uh you know I'm, I'm going to deliver this uh this pep talk and this speech here and this is going to turn the room you know this will get everyone going this is the one that'll work and then you know it's it's uh it's like that episode where brent sort of opens the door and tells people to get out and then the cleaner starts to come in you know like it's just sort of a it's sort of tragic comedy stuff and but again like it, it's one of those where um it, it's such a lame um, speech, you know, it's so sort of pathetic in, in parts, you know, you know, I, I too was bullied, you know, um, yeah, it, it's... You know, with my, with my red hair, my, my, you know, my freckles, that that's almost a sense of, um, uh, uh, I, I don't know, that's almost a, just sort of a, a revealing character insight there as well. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's almost great humor for everyone. Like it was, a, it's a great social media hit to almost like everyone having, uh, a bit of a laugh at his expense and isn't it pathetic uh, and look at the state of him and we can compare him to various sort of um, you know characters that you would ridicule and yet 
you can always power, power from that and, and wear a football. Yeah. And a couple of million a year. Yeah. yeah, and he's and he's running unelected again next week. Yeah, it's it, it's as if like in his mind that all the people that he mentioned, what well, I too feel disabled, I feel I too feel gay, I too feel all those different things. As if all the people, all the, the groups that he mentioned were suddenly going to row in behind him and say, actually, he's one of us. He knows how we feel. No, I mean, it takes an astonishing degree of arrogance to stand up in front of the world media, say that kind of, say those words and probably believe him. You know, when he's, when he's, there's, he certainly comes across as the sort of person that, you know, whatever he says, he 100% believes despite any available evidence to the contrary. Yeah, and like Infantino, like in some ways his rise, like he's almost like a sort of a you know a footballing civil servant in some ways. You know, he sort of he he sort of climbed up in the in the background. Um, you know, he had that. I mean, people a lot of people would have watched FIFA Uncovered, I would say, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, the Netflix documentary, the four part documentary. And I know that one of the criticisms of it was one of the contributors. Um, I think it might be a Kenyan contributor, a sports agent, um, um, certainly an African contributor in the, in the in the fourth show. Um, who went on social media afterwards and said that they felt that actually their their comments were heavily edited, um, that uh, they uh, he was very critical of Infantino. I mean, Infantino almost appears in the documentary uh, in a lot of ways as well. Yes, this this what a rabble this place was. Look what I inherited. And while mm. there is some criticism of it of him contained within it and, and some sort of uh, editing to reflect some doubts around them. Um, the ultimate conclusion seems to be um, hinting towards, you know, Blatter and FIFA, the worst of it is in the past. Um, or there's, it's, it's, there's an element of it there. And yet you have this situation next week where Infantino is uh, running unopposed. And um, sometimes, like uh, people would say about Infantino, that he doesn't expose himself to these situations as much. He doesn't, like, he, he, you know, the Blatter, some of the Blatter press conference the comments, stuff. yeah, the tighter shorts. There was always sound bites you could put to Blatter to, to criticize him. You know, the, the, it was women should wear tight, tighter shorts, and you know, they, yeah. they, they wanted to be a 32, 33rd team and all that. And, and as you said, like Infantino, other than today, it's difficult to remember him coming out with something that could be, you know, packaged down into a clip and held against him forevermore. Yeah, like there would be certainly like sports reporters on that beat who would be very critical of policy and, and there have been comments he's made along the way but just not something like this where like this is like this is sort of the launch of the tournament and this is clearly an attempt to hit back and it sort of backfires miserably now like there, there were other points within the speech that I, i've seen some people reasonably say you know there was an element of asking you know uh Europe and some of the you know empires, the traditional empire um, uh, origin countries to um, consider their own actions, but that gets lost when you like. This is the thing. This is the era now where the two three minute clip defines everything. If like even it stands that, above yeah. everything else. If even yeah, two, three and, minutes. You know, one hundred and eighty characters or whatever, and like, it's it's very hard for him like to to shake off that moment. Although I am always conscious talking about this. That um, again, you can exist in your own echo chamber of it, where uh, you you feel horrified by it, and I see most of the commentary is 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 that way inclined. But there is a view as well that like a lot of the anger around Qatar is still restricted to sort of Europe and maybe Australia, and it's not as burning an issue um, in some other places, you know, where where the World Cup story is still football orientated. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I don't know. I mean, like we we get to the we get closer to the tournament, and we've we've all been putting out this line. Well, inevitably the focus will turn to the football, and yet again, you had the beer ban on Friday, yeah. um, which is uh, the moving of the goalposts of one of the things the FIFA would have briefed about to say everything's going to be normal here, um, and you know you, you then have these anecdotal tales of fans uh, checking into. Uh, you know, facilities, uh, accommodations um, that are sort of a, an hour walking distance from the nearest shop. You need a wristband to buy water. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just starting to think that, you know, maybe some of these scare stories or, you know, things that are described as scare stories had a fair grain of truth yeah. in terms of predicting uh, that this could be difficult. And I'd imagine there'll be a retrieval attempts to try and resolve some of these situations that are unfolding, but it's, it all feeds into the whole um, lastminute.com feel about so many aspects of it. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is as well, like, I mean, we've, we see it across, look, across regimes throughout the world, not just in sport, across the world, where, you know, somebody can stand up and say, speak like Infantino did, and to a great extent be ridiculed. But as soon as he gets off the stage, the people within his circle are clapping him on the back and saying, you know, great speech, sure, well done, very good. And that's those people are really the only ones that he needs to appease or please. He doesn't necessarily he doesn't need the Twitter hordes behind him. You know, he, he most the people who vote are the ones that matter. And as as you said, Dan, he's, he's standing unopposed. So within his own um, within his own circle or within the regime that he's running, he's obviously doing something right to be able to just you know stand unopposed. Whether it's you know, if if it's there may be some doubts from the outside about it, but he's seems perfectly happy, and the people around him seem fairly happy as well. Um, I'm just going to read out some numbers that were in the Guardian last week. You mentioned, uh, you know, some of the the, the reporting um, on it, and something that Infantino spoke about ye- spoke about yesterday around, you know, the trying to ask the Europeans to fo- to focus on football. So there's just three or four numbers here where we have three. Official number of worker deaths during the World Cup 22 preparations, according to Qataris and Infantino. The next number, 6,500 migrant workers from India, Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh and Sri Lanka reported by The Guardian to have died in Qatar between 2010 when it was awarded the tournament and 2021. The next number, 14 to 18 hours worked a day by migrant workers in Qatar, particularly in the domestic and security sectors, according to Amnesty. Two more, we have 119 Qatari rating out of 180 countries on the Reporters Without Borders Press Freedom Index, which makes it actually one of the better countries in the region. And then seven years in prison that men and women who have sexual relations outside marriage can face under 281 article of the Penal Code. HRW says this disproportionately affects women who have been prosecuted if they report rape. It says police often do not believe women who report such violence, instead believing the men who claim it was consensual. Now, it's going to take a lot of football and a lot of great goals and a lot of great moments to try and, you know, forget those kind of numbers, however much um, Infantino and the like might want people to do. No, and, and we've touched on it a bit in our first show. Like Every World Cup has a story that's interlinked with the backdrop to that World Cup. And this is the story right now. And, you know, maybe it's the case that like previous World Cups, and, and I understand that there's a sort of a, there's, there's the water boundary argument that is that is pushed out um, by people who, who feel that Qatar is, is sort of receiving maybe some uh, 
almost like disproportionate attention in some way. You'll point, well, what about this tournament? What about that tournament? And uh, you know, what about 1978? And, and, and um, you know, other even more recent The Olympics examples in 36 going back. And yeah, well, back I mean, that's gone all the way back. I mean, there definitely, um, definitely wasn't social media in 1936, thankfully. But there, like, you know, there's a sense of, uh, or maybe there should have been, um, but there, there, is, there, there, there is a sense of, um, there's just more awareness of these things now. There's more, um, there's, there's a, a greater sort of, um, it, it, it lingers heavier on the, the consciousness, like, you know, that, that previous sort of, uh, things that happened, previous breaches of human rights, you didn't necessarily have the pictures or you didn't have the faces yeah. or you didn't always have the ability to sort of tell the stories in the way that some people are able to do it now. You've seen some great reporting of people going to Nepal, you know, being able to to sort of speak on on um, FaceTime and Zoom and, and various methods of communication with people who were there. Like in the past, that necessarily wasn't available in, in, a, in, a, in as accessible a way. So it's like it's brought the story to the top of the agenda to the point where, uh, yeah, my, my conviction that everyone will just completely forget about it and get thrown into the football. Um, I, I think every day there's going to be uh, stories unfolded and everyone will have a choice to make, I suppose, in, in, in terms of what they choose to focus on. But I feel like it's always going to be there um, running running beneath this tournament or in some cases above it. And like as I said, the Infantino speech, the absurdity of the Infantino speech is nearly like it's had the the opposite effect. Yeah, it's, added, it's added fuel to the fire, certainly where, you know, we will be obviously speaking about the issues building up to, to the World Cup as 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 would any as would any show or, or newspaper or website or anything like that. But reporting on the Infantino stuff, it just it just reignites the story. Um for for everyone really and obviously Qatar look Qatar and Ecuador there's no uh, there's no getting around it in terms of uh, how sort of dull the, the fixture is and we'll, we'll speak about the fixture later on but just uh, the final thing around the whole build up to it I mean what's your own personal feeling about about going and um, I guess the ethical dilemmas that, that come that come with that I suppose yeah, like I mean, it's it's definitely something that you 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 expect and understand like those questions. Like even the Ireland Norway game last week, like Stephen Kenny facing questions about going. Like Staley Salbach and isn't going uh, the Norwegian manager. Um, Stephen Kenny's argument will be, uh, you know, to do the job to the best of his ability, to do his job to the best of his ability. You know, you go and watch teams firsthand. It gives you the best chance of seeing them. You know, that that's his job. Yet he's someone who would. Um, and has consistently even spoken about yes. these issues, like in in a variety of environments. Um, so, it, it, like it, the question is there. Like I still always would have the instinct uh, as a journalist. I think the right thing to do is that if there's contention around a story, um, to go there and see it for yourself. Yeah. You know, to go and and write firsthand about it. Um, I think anyone who thinks, uh, or anyone maybe who goes there and just goes with the attitude of, I'm just going to write about the football solely and ignore all of that. And you see Fox Sports in America are almost talking about that being the, the tone of their coverage. I think that's you know, thorough condemnation. But for me, like, you know, South Africa 2010 is my fourth World Cup. Uh, 2010, you know, you would have gone and, and done some stuff around sort of the townships and, and um, you know, try to, to, to shine light on some issues around there. 2014, I remember going into the favelas doing stuff with an Irish guy working in the, the charities there. Actually, Martin O'Neill came in with a couple of us for a day to tour and go yeah. around it and try and shine light and life on life there. 
2018 and Russia are probably you know probably the one where um there, there probably should have been more really um in in some respects um I've referenced that previously and then this one here like I think um I still believe that um you know for the reporter's point of view like you're not being paid by Qatar you know yeah. you're not being paid to propagate on behalf of the state you're not working for a state organ you're there to to go on the ground and do your job and to tell the story of this world cup whatever that story may be so i'm pretty comfortable with that you know i think that to me is 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 what you should um ultimately do but you have to go there with your eyes open to where you are um and and would thoroughly deserve sort of a condemnation if you suddenly started uh, to ignore that mm -hmm. yeah Absolutely. It's, it's, it's going to be a major issue, obviously, throughout the tournament, as you said. Um, after the break, we'll talk about events on the pitch, as Infantino might like us to do, um, when we discuss Qatar and Ecuador in the opener of the World Cup. So what do you think is an opening match, Dan? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's... I think about the first games of the tournament. Like I remember South Africa in 2010, um, their opening match. And I was actually in Cape Town um, waiting to watch France later that night because, of course, um, they were the enemy uh, after mm -hmm. Thierry Henry and we had to sort of follow them around for a while. Um, but I remember the emotion of watching even the, the, the South African anthem and the sort of staff at our hotel, like almost in tears, you know, when they scored. Was it Shibala who scored the goal? Um but um, I'm not I'll sure. I'll take your I'm word for that, Donald. Yeah, I think it might have been. I think I might have uh, left out a syllable. But um, like that was powerful, you know. And they were the first host nation to ever go out um, of the World Cup in the group stage. But everyone was sort of behind them. And you think in the you know Brazil 2014, the the Neymar stuff, and you know the death of Neymar before the semi final. But there still was a sense of the Brazilian story was a big thing. Again, like Russia, you know, you, you have these feelings that. You saw these uh, spontaneous scenes of celebration after they beat Spain mm -hmm. on penalties, which was almost out of sync with like normal life yeah. in Moscow. Not sure if people were necessarily cheering for Russia. There was probably an element of um, suspicion, maybe even in some ways. But Qatar, I mean, are, are people going to be watching from around the world and rooting for the home team in the same way that they usually do? Even though a lot of the players, I mean, they've effectively nationalized a large number of their squad. Um, you know, they've they've they found work in 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 Qatar um, that's preferable to a lot of other people who find work in Qatar yes, because of a certain ability that they have. Um, and it's big moments for all of them. But is it the type of thing that everyone's going to feel a warm glow if Qatar go one nil up? I'm not so sure. Yeah, I think obviously the, the it changed in I think maybe 2006, perhaps maybe maybe 2002, that it was the host country that opened the tournament as opposed to the the previous champions. Like mm. when, when you go back to certain games, you know, you remember 1990s, obviously very famous for you know Argentina losing one nil to Cameroon and you know the the foul on Claudio Canigia and all those kind of things. I think again in theory, it's a great way to start a tournament with a host nation and get the nation behind them. I think obviously. It, on the pitch, Qatar are going to have a huge amount of pressure, uh, probably, you know, less so from expectant fans so much as an expectant government and regime or whatever phrase you want to put on them. I mean, they really, they've been preparing for this, you know, for 12 years, effectively, since since they had, since mm. they were announced as, as a tournament. They've had, you know, the Aspire Academy, which 
you know, reading about it kind of reads like the emerging talent program on steroids kind of thing where it's just people mm. in there and they're being careful now. Well, yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. But uh, careful now, there's more Father Ted references. But, you know, I think they've had an eight month training camp running into this as well. So like certainly unlike so many of the other teams in this tournament, preparation isn't going to be a problem for Qatar, shouldn't be at least. No, that's the one thing they have gone for them, like in the sense that we, we've watched them play Ireland twice. Now, I think the time they came to Dublin, they were absolutely wrecked because they were on this sort of mad uh, friendly schedule that they've been on, in fact, for the last couple of years because uh, the players are effectively controlled um, by the, the local FA. Um, they, you know, they don't, club commitments aren't um, a factor. You know, they're all based here. So they've, they are the most prepared team in the competition, like, you know, compared to other teams coming in after a week together. You know, you, you know, Gary Breen in, in the paper on Saturday talking about the preparations for the yeah. World Cup in 2002 and all that entailed. This is like six days in a lot of cases, but uh, Qatar is completely different. So you'd imagine they're going to be ready to hit the ground running and there is still a degree of pressure on them. Um, Ecuador, a lot of people rate them. They're, um, you know, a, a young side, uh, the, 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 the sort of the core of a team who've had success at underage level that are sort of starting to break through. Um, and you know they you know, they can probably match Qatar maybe in in one attribute that people expect from from Qatar is that they're going to be very energetic. Yeah. Um, even for watching them a bit, they can be sometimes play with a bit of speed on the counter, and they have players that are suited to that. So they 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 have the ability to sort of execute the odd flamboyant moment, but there is still a feeling like as much as they've had some success in their region, um. You know, and and they will have a bit of you know the hometown stuff that always helps. You know, the suspicion mm-hmm. around uh, the hometown refs and all this stuff. Yes, that, you know, careful the favorable, yourself as well. Yeah, the fav- the favorable hosting rights that generally are afforded to uh, more so with scheduling really course, in a lot yeah. of cases than than other stuff. But still, um, you know, they got to have their own day because uh, they weren't actually meant to start the competition. But this is their big day. May or may not be out to do with Abu Dhabi Grand Prix as well. Um, but. I don't know what to expect from the game. Like I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm very much on the fence, and I think I, I couldn't pretend to have a strong opinion on it. We're going to ask you to pretend. I think that we're going to ask you to have a, an opinion at least on a scoreline or something. Just for okay, we'll, one we'll one one I'll go for I'll go one for two nil to Ecuador. Just to, uh, yeah, I think that I think a lot of the certainly the the media would would like to see the. Qatari regime not have something to smile about. I think whether it be you know you, you might have sympathy for the players who are involved in this, but I think usually you would say you you would want the the host to to progress. But I'm not sure if that's the case in this tournament. No, I don't think that 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 demand is going to be there. But you know they might feel they have half a chance. You know, Mane's out for Senegal and the group the group. You know, not losing this game will sort of keep them in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for joining us today, Dan. Thanks very much for that. We will be back tomorrow morning where we'll discuss uh, Qatar and Ecuador and also to see if England can start their, take their first step to ending 56 years of hurt. Thanks for joining us. 